Hey everyone, it's Rob with four songs. So I know I said it would be a while before my next episode, and that's kind of the case. And unfortunately, it might be a bit before my next one because I just don't have much time these days. I got a lot coming though, so it's not like I don't have things coming out. So the best thing to do is subscribe, however you're listening to this, and then follow me on Twitter at four songs two. That's at four songs number two. And keep up with me. So hey, anyway. This is a bit of a unique episode. It's the first time I've had Tony from the Pug on in a while, and we recorded this live in his house. It was right before the Pogatry show in March of this year, March 2022. And if you've been following me on Twitter, you know that it was a hell of a show. It was a release. It was cathartic. It was, you know, that big two-year anniversary of the last time they were here, right before the world shut down. And just so you folks who don't know what Pogatry is, and if you don't, I'm sorry for you. Pogatry is Songs of the Pogues, sung by Spider Stacy and Kat O'Riordan, original members of the band, backed up by the Lost Bayou Ramblers. And that's a band headed by Louis Michaud, who I've had on this show two times. And he's just a brilliant musician, consummate professional, humanitarian, philanthropist, you name it, all-around good dude. And, you know, it's funny because a show that we saw in March of 2020, right before the world shut down, was that last night that a lot of us had that was normal. And so to go back almost two years to the day and almost relive it, like I said, it was just, I can't put it into words. So leading up to that, Tony and I got together at his place and it was the first time we'd done something in person since, well, ever, because we have only known each other since the pandemic started. And, you know, we've been kind of kicking around an idea for, for a conversation that started this winter. It was such a miserable winter on the East Coast. It was cold, wet, and rainy and snowy. And, you know, it's been kind of a cold, wet, and rainy start to the spring, too. And one of these days, my backyard's going to dry out. I just don't know when that will be. That's neither here nor there. But the point is, Tony and I were texting one night in January when there was about a foot of snow on the ground and talking about our favorite Clash songs and kind of got the idea, you know, maybe a fun to talk about what our favorite Big Audio Dynamite or Joe Strummer solo songs would sound like if they had been done by The Clash. I mean, we could all talk about our favorite Clash songs all day and all night long, but we decided to make it a little bit more interesting by bringing up stuff that Mick Jones or Joe Strummer did without the other and what that would sound like. Well, of course, we can't recreate that sound, but you know, what would have been a great BAD song that would have just been brilliant had the clash done it and vice versa for joe strummer's solo career so that's what this is it's just a conversation of two guys talking about their favorite band and of course other bands pop in other people pop in we talk about the lost by ramblers and the Pogatry show we talk about yasmin williams we talk about big john stanton we talk about don letts you name it it's a really fun listen so i don't want to go too much longer because you know, I can't really describe it that well because it is just a conversation. It's just two guys talking about music. So hope you like it. And hey, try to play along online. If, if there are songs that you love by BAD or Joe Strummer that you think would have been just amazing Clash songs, let's hear it. So I'm just going to turn it over to Tony. Here we are, me and Tony coming from his place in Washington. Enjoy. All right. Well, this is a special episode of Four Songs. We are on location here at Shea Pug, and we're going to be talking about, well, who knows? We'll just kind of see how it goes. So Tony is here. How you doing, Tony? I'm doing well enough. Seems like things are getting back to normal from the last time we talked. Yeah, it's been a while. So it's, it's 
coming at a time where in a couple, well, by the time this comes out, will the show have already happened, but the Pogatry show with the Black Cat with Lost Body Ramblers and Spider Stacy with Kato, Kato Reardon, I was get pronounced that wrong. It's a milestone for, for me and for us because that was we were there. We didn't know at the time that we were both there. And <laughs> it was the last normal night for many of yeah. us for a long time. So that so, you know, the timing is it's interesting. I I don't know if interesting is the word, but I went to that show with my partner Solly, and then that was a Thursday night. Friday night we worked. Saturday night or Saturday morning I went to a a basketball game. It was the uh, at Georgetown. Then I went did a couple shots at the Irish Channel and went home and made a few phone calls and shut everything down for four hundred and fifty some days. And now we're uh, seems like we're coming out of it, and it's going to be the same show that I am using to mark the occasion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's because that's also in a way that kind of led to. I mean, that wasn't the reason why I started the podcast, but it was. It was just an exhilarating night for folks who grew up listening to the Pogues. And I, that was actually the first time I'd seen the Ramblers. And it was, you could yeah. tell there was the chemistry they had. And yeah. it just really was a special night. So anyway, hopefully, I'm sure it'll be just as good this time. We won't have a review because we'll, well, anyway. <laughs> so, you know, we were a couple months ago, I think there was about a foot of snow on the ground, which I think might be coming back tomorrow. <laughs> but... With the 50 to 90 mile an hour winds. Yeah. And one more adventure. Right. And Tony and I were, were texting. I think I'd had a few bourbon barrel beers and kind of had the idea. It'd be really cool to talk about our favorite Clash songs. And then I thought, well, everyone talks about their favorite Clash songs. Maybe if we did something a little unique and talk about our favorite Big Honey Dynamite or Joe's Trummer solo songs, that would have been really good Clash songs. And, and so we thought that'd be kind of cool and it just took a while for us to to get it scheduled because as tony suggested things were coming back online and we were all just getting crazy busy so we got some time here it's a friday night and i had to kind of set some little ground rules for this because i figure we can't talk about cut the crap because that's technically a clash album but i am going to talk about it okay i am never mind no i i mean (laughs) you know i've been thinking about it a lot and that that episode about Cut the Crap is a, is a great episode. And <laughs> go ahead. I don't want to interrupt, but uh, I'm, I'm breaking the rules. Yeah. I'm breaking all the well, rules. That's what the class would do, so <laughs> never mind. So I, in my mind, I thought, okay, we can't talk about Cut the Crap. So I, I didn't think of that. And then I thought of another, there's a big argument dynamite. Oh, we can't talk about number 10 Upping Street because Joe co-wrote and co-produced that album. And is that the other one you're going to pick from? <laughs> okay. So we'll keep that one going because they did co-wrote Cade. I can't talk. I'll edit this later. They worked together on that, as you, as people who are listening to the show probably know, that was an album co-written and produced by Mick Jones and Joe Strummer. And didn't think it would be right to talk about a song from that album considering that it's a co-written album. So anyway, those are really the... They were the rules, now they're not. And I'm kind of rambling. So I'm going to just... Kick it over to you, Tony, and uh, hear what you what your songs are. So I knew, I knew that was going to be your rule, and, and you said we were going to talk about <laughs> the Clash and Big Audio Dynamite songs. And first of all, this is totally not a nerdy thing for us to be doing this on a Friday night. <laughs> right. it's, it's very um, on the last spring night we're going to have for uh, two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is, I was thinking about it today. This is not a criticism of Big Audio Dynamite per se, because I love Big Audio Dynamite. I thought it was. It was a great project, and 
the, there was a night at the pie shop where a bunch of local bands did all uh, did a did a, all Clash songs, and I cannot remember what the occasion was. It wasn't the anniversary of Joe Strummer's passing, and it wasn't Clash Day, but for whatever reason, there was a, a night at the, at the pie shop where uh, all these bands did a bunch of Clash covers. And it was really the first night uh, that I was out, you know, in a bar, in a crowded place as, as we were winding COVID down, for lack of a better term. And everybody at the... <laughs> the show kept talking badly about Mick Jones and I always thought that you know Joe Strummer's clearly my hero but Mick Jones I think gets gets criticized a lot and then we talked about this and I know that that you have different feelings on Cut the Crap than I do I love that song This Is England and I thought that I continuously think that had they done that together it would have been a even better and again I'm not going to nerd out on all the the brilliant things that I think Mick Jones does, but I just think he would have changed that song just just enough to make it even better. And again, I am one of those guys. I, I don't I don't hate cut the crap. I just never listen to it. Yeah, I, <laughs> and I, I tried after your I tried after yeah. that episode, and it just does not grab me. And I don't know if it was their partnership that that made it that way because you know all of Joe Strummer's solo stuff. I clearly love so it was just it, you know who knows how, what what the mental drop I have is on that album but I think if they had done this as England together it would have been fantastic yeah I agree I mean and cut the crap was the first clash album I ever bought it was by accident I, I, I think I've explained or talked about on the show it was I was 12 or 13 and my friends were all somehow my Growing up from Frederick, Maryland, my friends were into punk rock. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it didn't last too long, but I got into it because I went to Sam Goody at the mall mm-hmm. and looked for the most punk rock-looking cassette I could find. <laughs> and the one with the picture with the mohawk and the guy, like, that's got to be punk rock. So I kind of made myself like it. And a couple weeks, months later, you know, you have birthday parties and your kids and your a friend gave me Black Market Clash. So I was hooked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... My feeling about Cut the Crap is always that it got me into the band. And then talking to, to Mark Anderson, who wrote that book, like I hadn't listened to that album in probably 20-some years. And it maybe just the songs that he was explaining, like Three Card Trick, I listened to it again. like, that is a good song. But yeah, this is England. You, even the one on the, I know he's, he, they did like a reversion, or a earlier version on that Joe Strummer compilation. Oh, right. And I prefer the one on Cut the Crap. Yeah. No, and I think, and again... We run the risk of having this conversation saying, well, that song's not good. I think it's a great song. I just think that it would have changed it had they done it together. And, you know. Yeah. So what do you, what, what's, what do you got first for Big Other Dynamite? Uh, it's funny because it's the same. It's not. It's Tighten Up Volume 88, the song, not the album. Because the song, the album is, uh, you know, it's got one or two good songs. And this is Tighten Up is, I think, the first, well, probably the first and again, it's I'm not completing my sentences here, but it was the first Big Audio Dynamite album that I got because I didn't know they existed. I was this is like the two years after our this is like 1990. I was 14 or 15, 
And a friend of mine who knew I loved The Clash said, hey, did you know that Mick Jones has this other band called Big Audio Dynamite? And I was like, no. How, I mean, how would I know that? And I don't know how he knew about it, which is an even funnier thing, because, again, this is before the internet, before cell phones. You had to get everything out of Rolling Stone or Spin magazine. Mm-hmm. So I went, of course, went back to the mall, and whatever 10 bucks I had in my pocket, and I, they had two cassettes, at, and one of them was, I think, Megatop Phoenix, and tighten up and all I could afford was one so I just kind of randomly picked tighten up and I kind of made myself like it (laughs) again (laughs) but the song tighten up it reminded me when I listened to it the other day it's like this is kind of like their version of this is England it has a very similar beat Mm -hmm. lyrically it's kind of the same kind of England is this dark gloomy place and Thatcherism is running wild and it's talking about the class divide and I really liked it back then and I was thinking you know this it can you imagine like that music with this is England those lyrics just how much more powerful right that could have been I don't know it's kind of that was just I don't know why that's the one because there's so many other songs like from the first album this is big Audio dynamite like a party or even bottom line this could have been like the last the last great clash song it's really yeah it's you know and I don't know if like Beatles fans have these discussions, <laughs> you know, and I, so similarly, again, without the internet, you know, I went away to college and I was home for a break and, uh, went to posers and bottom line came on. I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And it was Mick Jones and you know, the technology too. I can remember for, I didn't go to that first tour, but a friend went and I guess it was Don Letts and he had a stack of tape decks and every time they would play like, the horses are on the track. He would push play. <laughs> that would be how they did the samples back then because it was a totally different, uh, you know, it was just the, the, the technology was different. And I think that they were, again, the, the, I think that they were incredibly clever and very creative. And again, I'm going to cheat on you here, <laughs> Rob. Um, you know, Mick Jones, after the clash, he also, I mean, it was a coin toss between Big Audio Dynamite and general public. I mean, he produced that for, or he he played on that first general public record. And so that Harold Road, the ska song, yeah. I always think would have been great if the specials or the <laughs> general public had done that. Yeah. Done that. And now the that Dread Zone song is clearly the the next chapter on that Harold Road ska, ska version. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's uh, it's really. I, that's one of my favorites again, because clearly I'm always stuck on the sky. Yeah, but I, it, when I was thinking through this a little bit, and you know, thinking about cut the crap, and then some of the, the I was at the hardest time saying big audio dynamite. I don't know why, <laughs> but I was thinking that the, to me it just shows to Topper Heden Heden is just he was the engine or the oil maybe Stormer was the engine, but Topper was the oil that made it all work, and you take that element out. Yeah. And even though I, you know, going to the Strummer song, like I would probably go with Gangsterville. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I mean, first solo album, and again, it's just funny because these all I heard these again. I was probably fourteen when I heard Gangsterville, and I think I had that before I got the Big Audio Dynamite cassette. But I was—that's the one. I mean, Strummer has a lot of fantastic solo songs, but that's the one that I first ever heard. And uh, yeah. And again, like, then what was the, 
we're gonna deviate a little bit. The Strummer song that was on the uh, um, the Sid and Nancy soundtrack. Oh, Love Kills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that also. That would have been a great song. I spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking that I wished the Clash had done that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and again, I'm vaguely gonna veer off topic because we were talking about Don Less before we started um, start chatting, and let's not. I mean, he he's an underrated piece of all the genius behind it and as locals i just found this out the other day the the big go go movie you know good to go mm -hmm. he was involved with really and i don't i cannot remember um i don't think he, i don't know if he was i don't think he directed it but he may have been a cinematographer or, or whatever um but he was involved with it and then he sort of got pushed aside and thinking about that if there was a go-go version of the globe, I would be very happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with that, with the uh, should I stay or should I go? Sample in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm deviating from the formula. Uh, that's all right. But still, yeah. I just you know, knowing you were coming over this afternoon, I've been I was listening to the big audio dynamite all afternoon, and I'd forgotten how many really great songs they had, and you know. I saw them, I, I missed that first tour, but I saw them three or four times afterwards, and they always put on a great show. And again, that, that Clash set that they did in New York, that, that five-night five stand, apparently they sort of got into the early stages of hip-hop, which clearly was a big influence on Big Eddie Dynamite. Yeah, it's funny. So this... Well, probably this will be coming out after the Emily Capel episode, so you you'll hear a lot of you've already if you've listened to that you'll you'll know we talk a lot about Sky and Big Audio Dynamite and just that how the the scene and the she would call it the the what the heck did she call it subculture yeah so and so anyway so I will figure out how to make this make sense no no of course no but, but the subcult yes yeah and I hadn't really thought of that. As you know, growing up where I grew up, outside of Washington and kind of the rural part of Maryland, where there really was no subculture, and always thinking, dude, I think what I loved about the Clash and bands like the Clash was they were so far removed from anything in my reality that they were just this from another world, yeah. for lack of a better word. Yeah. And when I didn't really get them, I mean, I loved them, but I didn't really understand where they're coming from until I went to London, I think the first time when I was probably 27, 26, it was not, it was after a strummer died. So I didn't get to, not that I would have seen them, but he wasn't there, but just walking around like some of the areas like Camden where just these mix of cultures yeah. that I don't know you get that even in New York or and in Washington, you get part of that, but now it's getting pushed further and further out. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to figure. And I, I you know, clearly, I would say, you know, England and America do have staggering race problems. And I don't know if the, for lack of a better term, the grass is greener, but it does seem sometimes that there is more crossover of culture in, in, in London than there is here. And it's funny because I love London and hate New York. And clearly London is the, the New York of, <laughs> of England, but you know, I, you know, walking around in Brixton or any of those neighborhoods and, you know, being a big clash nerd and just that, that time period of music anyway, walking through those places and seeing all of that, it, it really does, you know, it changes what you think about it. Yeah. 
because you know I didn't know where that was coming from. I couldn't really relate to it as much as I loved it until I not that I could relate to it because I'm just not a part of it. But that was just something that really jumped out to me when walking around and just being like, okay, I get I get it now. <laughs> I wish yeah. you know what it was just really cool. And then I think it made me at the time I was like I said I was like in my late mid to late twenties. I wasn't married. But I was really into like the alt country stuff, which I thought that's my punk rock, that's my clash movement. And then I'd sort of, I don't, I mean, there are certain bands that I, I still listen to from that, but I don't want to get as much into it anymore. And I go back more to the stuff that I remember as a kid. And I feel like I have to, I have to listen to five clash songs a day, <laughs> or I don't have a good day. And it's you know, I always think about this too because I, I've. Got into that, you know, that Sunbolt, Uncle Tupelo, and that whole scene, subculture, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, Joe Strummer loved Joe Ely, right? Yeah. So, they, I mean, I, I don't think I'm betraying him listening to country music. <laughs> no, I don't either. I mean, because I always felt, especially when I was thinking that this was going to be the next big thing, and I wanted to be on the ground floor. And so, I mean, I got way in, like, way deep into it and like bands like the honey dog like the minneapolis had this great scene and there was a little bit of a scene here before i moved before i got out of college that i kind of met my that i never really i missed because i think it was very short-lived and but there was you listen to like his early uncle tupelo records even like the acoustic march 16th through whatever it is i mean that's a punk rock album oh yeah i mean yeah absolutely i think it is and like you know there was there were dc bands <laughs> The Glenmont Popes and Blue, Bo Blue Balls Deluxe were like that punk rock sort of sort of rockability, not not really rock. You know, it, it, yeah, they were country punk, I guess. Yeah. So I don't know. We kind of got way off track here, <laughs> but that's all good. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, to be London fair, Calling, clash, right? yeah, I mean, yeah. brand new Cadillac, and and yes. onward, and and I mean, yeah, so. But yeah, any, I was when I was listening to some of this earlier, some of the big R Dynamite stuff and like the pre and post Topper Clash. To me, I mean, as much as I, Mick Jones was, I mean, I think he's one of the most underrated songwriters I think of all time. But the stuff Topper could do, I mean, he really took them from a punk rock band to London Calling, mm -hmm. and I mean with the rock the casbah was his right mm -hmm. <laughs> and whether you like it or not if it was their sellout or not it was their biggest you know i mean that they became a household name after that song yeah. and uh you know i mean you can just like that song but the creativity you can't you cannot deny the creativity the topper put in that song i don't i wonder is he do we know anything about he's Recovered from his yeah. his ills, and I have, you know, just like I've tried to reach out to Mick Jones or Don Lutz, and it's been unsuccessful. But yeah, I mean, he's alive and well. He seems healthy. I mean, if you think of all the ones who would probably not would be alive, it, you wouldn't think he would be. <laughs> but he has recovered. He, as far as I know, and seems to be in good good health and good spirits, which is good news. And I still think. I will always think he's the best drummer I've ever heard. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. I mean, again, I'm <laughs> clearly, I'm biased about 
anybody that was in the clash being the best on the planet. I mean, like Mick was never the best guitarist. He was just always on point. Well, I think, but I think he was the, so like, and again, to totally nerd out on it, um, he has a little part of stay free that <laughs> it's just so, it's so nerdy, but he, you know, he says, I practice daily in my room and then he just plays that teeny little guitar riff, which is the most clever, funny little thing. And it, you know, it makes that song for me. Every time I hear that, I'm like, oh man, he just, he thought that out and yeah. put that little guitar riff in there. Oh, I definitely think he, everything he did was always on point. Like it was never out, off key or not even off key, but just, I hate to use the word tasteful, but he listened to everything he did. It wasn't flashy. He wasn't like Vernon Reed trying to like just rip his guitar or Joe Satriani or, or now I'd say Yasmin Williams, who was just an amazingly oh, talented right, yeah. guitarist who can just do amazing things. Mick was not going to be that kind of player. You know, and we can't forget about, uh, Carbon silicon, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that show, <laughs> 930 Club, with the, what's the fellow from uh, Generation X, right? Yeah. That was a fun show. And like, it was just, it seemed like two dudes just sitting in their room messing around on a guitar. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of it, they played a Clash song and then they went back out of it. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, that was, that was it right there. That's why I came for this and yeah. then had a great night anyway. I remember when that happened. I think I, I that was, there's this weird period when, from like 05 to maybe like 2011 where I just missed everything. I don't know if it was, I wasn't on the right mailing list or, or what, because stuff would sell out or stuff would just come and go and I, because I wasn't getting like the weekend section as much as I used to and, and again, I mean, the internet clearly changes all your yeah. going out, you know, the show ticket sales and everything. It's a different beast now. Oh, yeah. And it's for good or ill, I guess. But <laughs> so we kind of went way off track there, but it's what it's all about. And this is like a jazz performance. We were just <laughs> freestyling. Yeah. We were improvising. You know what's funny? And this is way off, way off base. We we're talking about go go music earlier in this discussion and there are two things about go-go music that i'll never forget one of them is that i never really knew what it was until i was in college and i had a friend from new jersey had loved hip-hop and all kinds of music i'd never heard of but we shared a like for reggae and he, he knew he actually got to know some reggae artists and one of them played at his wedding which is pretty awesome and we were just getting to know each other. I said, like, yeah, I like go-go music. I was like, what's go-go music? I've never even heard of that. And he's like, no, it's from D.C., and you're from D.C. I was like, I'm not really. I'm from Maryland. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. But then I, when I heard it, I was like, I know that sound. That's the sound when you go to the Metro Center, and there's kids playing these big buckets. And I always loved it, but I never knew what it I just figured they were just playing drums, and that's just the it was just a, it was a sound that I remembered hearing distinctly, and then when I heard like Chuck Brown finally when I was much too much older, I mean, I was like, I know that that beat. Yep, that's that's, that's, that's what, what makes it go go. You know, and here's a total nerd out thing that I just now remembered, and I saw. So I think that Medicine Show. They might have done a release on a uh, 12-inch uh, on Def Jam. Oh, really? And I saw them at the old 930 Club, and I was going as I was walking in. Um, 
I heard somebody say, yeah, there's these young, these young kids, these young black kids opening for them. And I was like, what? And I was like, I mean, it couldn't be uh, the Pastaducci. I was like, who, who is it? And so, of course, it was Junkyard Band because Junkyard Band had released uh, Sardines on Def Jam as well. And so I guess Rick Rubin or somebody put the two of them together and it was fantastic. <laughs> I forgot all about that until right now. Well, the only reason I got, I really listened to Go-Go after my friend Ryan got me into it a little bit, but that was early on in my freshman year, I think. And, and Ryan was way ahead of me in terms of music taste. And when I started dating my wife, she had that Eva Cassidy, Chuck Brown oh, Christmas. Yeah. And she loved Eva Cassidy, but she wanted, she wanted to get all her stuff. And that's how we got, that's when I really started to listen to Chuck Brown. And that guy could sing. I mean, yeah. outside from the, the, the usual stuff you hear, he had a hell of a voice. Yeah. We are those a, two. We are a scant block and a half from Chuck Brown Park here. It's right across the street. Yeah, he, that, and that Eva Cassidy. Again, as we go far, far adrift, that <laughs> Eva Cassidy Chuck Brown album is sensational. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and my wife, she, she has all kinds of Eva Cassidy. And I, boy, that's talk about someone being gone too soon. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. She would have, yeah. It was a magic album. Yeah, we've gone, yeah, we've gone well adrift. It's fine. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's the whiskey. <laughs> so yeah, I don't really know where we're gonna go from here. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think that we're gonna just. Keep calling Mick Jones until we can get up to come out here. Yeah, maybe <laughs> I'll uh, have a couple pints at the pub and we can we can talk about Big Ugly Dynamite Records. There you go. And uh, Don Let's can, can Don he can produce the video for us so we can follow. Yeah. yeah, maybe he'll listen to the Emily Capel interview and he'll be like, I gotta get on that show. We can get Crooked Beat to come over and, and sell a couple records. <laughs> so well, I mean, it's been cool because going back to I think we talked at the very beginning about the Lost by Rambler show. So that was I interviewed Louie about two that September or October and that's the episode that I think Tony heard yeah. the first time so that's how we got to know each other and that, that big John Stanton yeah, yeah. talk about your go-go expert I mean he knows I think he's again like my friend Ryan just way ahead of, of me in terms of taste and that's the thing like back then I don't know how like I, people thought I was weird and how I got into these bands that they were all pretty much all major labels and it wasn't hard to get right these cassettes back then, but like people like Ryan and Stanton, how they heard about this, these these bands and music is just incredible. And but I think, and, and you know, I got into that, the early stages of hip hop, and I think that it was <laughs> it's so corny, but I think that listening to the Clash, they just opened my mind to a lot of other stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that you know, and and I think. The, the 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 differences between the Clash and Big Audio Dynamite are that progression where they there was just another style that they wanted to do and I think that, I think that again like I said I listened to Big Audio Dynamite all day today getting ready for this and I'd forgotten how how many songs that by them that I loved I mean I turned out a punk <laughs> so great yeah. and that song I wouldn't have had the Clash do that one I would have had possibly uh, Jonathan Richmond, because I think that they might have borrowed that guitar riff, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah, admittedly, I think they're a mixed bag. I think their good songs are fantastic. Their bad songs are pretty they're unmemorable. Bad. Unmemorable, <laughs> not bad. They're just unmemorable. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, I mean, 
but and I think some of that is is I think toward the end of Big Ari Dynamite, some of the lyrics I think kind of fell flat because I don't know Mick was a lyric. I mean, he wrote some fantastic lyrics. I mean, he wrote "Stay Free" as we right. talked about, and he wrote what songs did he write? I mean, he wrote "Should I Stay or Should I Go," yeah, wasn't that? Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> but I'm thinking, thinking lyrically because I, I know that he he wrote like all the music, and he wrote something that Strummer wrote on "London Calling" that I don't know why it is it escapes me right now. So my son, that's his big game is when we're listening to the Clash. He he picks out who's singing. Oh really? And then he's like, "Do you think Joe wrote this one, or do you think Mick Jones wrote it?" And I'm like, "Listen, pal, you're ten. Don't worry about who wrote it. Just keep listening <laughs> to it." <laughs> yeah, there's one, and it's one of their best songs, and I couldn't believe because it's in one of like the the Clash documentaries or the oh, right. one hundred and one or whatever that. And he says, "Oh, Joe says I'm usually singing my words. This one was a Mick lyric, and it's it's amazing. And I don't know what it was, and that's really sad." Um, but I, the one funny thing is, like, so Joe wrote "Super Lost in the Supermarket" that Nick sang, and that is one of the talk about fantastic yeah. lyrics. Yeah, we are far afield from our initial argument, but it's fun. It's rock and roll. There's no yeah. rules in rock and roll, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and it, you know, since we're talking about the poetry thing, don't forget that Mick Jones, or not Mick Jones, but Joe Strummer. Sang a few class, a few Pogue songs. Yeah, you know, and I got to say, when they played London Calling at that show, I, I've heard Joe sing it with the Pogues. I didn't really, I've never really liked it. I always thought it was too, they was trying to make it sound like a Pogue song. Right. But when the Bayou Ramblers did it, it was just amazing. Like, yeah. I, I had actually got goosebumps. Yeah. Because you could tell when, because Spider announced it, like, this song is by another lead singer of the Pogues. And, like, he's going to play a Clash song. <laughs> and it was London Calling, and they just did this version that, and I, hopefully we would have heard it when we have seen this. I'm trying to do something in the past tense that hasn't happened yet, but it was just, it gave me chills. Somebody sent me a video from the, the show in New Orleans already, so I'm, I'm pretty stoked. <laughs> I'm not going to say what talk it was. I but it wasn't a work night. <laughs> St. Patrick's. And- well, we got to do what you got to do. and But I think that's... Oh, and I was talking. I don't know if I had this in the first interview because I had to, because Louis and I ended up talking for like an hour and, and I had to cut a lot of stuff out of that. But he told me that it was Joe Strummer that actually turned the Pogues onto Cajun music. I mean, it makes sense, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's a David Simon connection there too because, you know, when Steve Earle. I guess when they were filming Treme, Steve Earle was down there, and Steve Earle did a song, I think, with the, that Johnny uh, Johnny Come Lately, I think mm-hmm. is with the Pogues, right? And so I think that David Simon was helping put that all together as well when they were filming Treme. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I can, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm fairly excited. Yeah. And the other thing that was funny was talking to Louis. I thought, well, he must be a big Clash fan. And he's like, I actually had never listened to them until I introduced myself to like Met Spider. Because, you know, those, those, the Cajuns, I mean, that's like a whole, whole other thing. And I don't even think that's a subculture. That's just a, that's like, that's a culture. That is a legit, like, they, they sing in French, Cajun French, not even like French French. It's a whole deriv- deriv- derivative of yeah. French. And it's just something, again, I mean, you, you hear the, the cliche version when you're on Bourbon Street, but the real deal. I mean, that's the, that's the Ramblers, and yeah. 
It's yes. in their blood, literally in their blood. And it, you know, I don't want to overshadow the the first half of that show with the biogram, lost biogramers, how good that is too. Yeah. So we have totally lost track of our original conversation. <laughs> we were beside ourselves with excitement. Yeah, and that's, it's already already happened when you, by the time you would have heard this. So, and I think their tour is, if I get this out in time, is still going on. I don't know if I'll be able to wrap this out in time. So hopefully you saw them. <laughs> hopefully they'll do it again next year. Call in. We can talk about it later. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we'll probably start wrapping it up. But I don't have a good transition to get there. Well, I mean, to me, you and I have we have talked a lot on the phone. We've we've crossed paths a few times in person. But to me, this is this was the inevitable. I mean, we we went far afield, but we have not because we've all been isolated for. We we've had a lot of discussions and a lot of texting and, and the occasional email. But this is the first time we've actually got a chance to sit down have a drink yeah. and be in the same room and you know we recorded it and, and you know you can listen to us ramble this is the lost dc ramblers <laughs> it's fine and you know i'm i'm glad that we got together and yeah. and, and didn't have to do it over a zoom session right, right. yeah because that could have gotten out of hand too <laughs> but so yeah because you know if i get this out it'll be in the next couple of weeks it's come up almost two years when i started this damn thing and I, you know, I, I never thought it would last more than five episodes and who knows if it's going to last any longer than this, but it's been a lot of fun and I hope everyone's enjoyed it. I have. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's gotten, gotten me to meet Tony, Tony which has been a awesome. <laughs> I, that, the, the Ian, Ian, uh, Ian Jones, is it Ian Jones? Yeah. I've been listening, I've listened to that, that, that record all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've, you've gotten a lot of. You've introduced me to a good, good bit of stuff. Well, that's, yeah, and, you know, a lot of the Ian Jones, I only got introduced to him through his PR person, who, Wendy Brinford Jones, I will be sure to highlight her, because she's also got me in touch with the Sweet Lizzie Project and Dar Williams, countless others. Yeah, uh, she's just fantastic to work with, and so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun. And, again, like I said, who knows if it lasts longer than, you know, this May, but... I think it will. It will. I've got some other projects that I haven't yeah. told you about yet. Okay. The Go Go Book. I got We got to get it. We got to sit down with him with Chip. And yeah, definitely. Do that in person. There's another band, uh, not a band, but a a project that I just heard about that I want to talk to you about. So we've we've got stuff to still do, <laughs> and we can do these live now. Yeah, yeah. That- if I ever figure out, I mean, this is on YouTube, but I can't really edit the video because I try to edit. It would just look really choppy, and I don't know how to do that. So, but maybe one of these days we'll do something yeah. with that. So we'll figure it out. With, with that, that, old guys can figure out the technology. Yeah, or <laughs> you got kids, and I have thirteen-year-old nieces who can probably do this in like in their sleep backwards. Yes, and, my kids will figure it out. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up here. So, Tony, it's been awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you came around. Yeah. And make sure to tip your bartenders. There you go. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, we got pretty far afield there pretty quickly, but tell us what you think. Follow us up on Twitter and, and hit us up. Tell us what songs you would have picked on from The Clash or Joe Strummer, Big Only Dynamite, what songs would have been amazing Clash songs. I mean, the band The Clash is just, any of those songs would have been great Clash songs because we know how good The Clash were. 
anyway, this was just a fun exercise. I hope you enjoyed it. I will talk to you all soon and see ya.